You're listening to Denver Orbit. Episode 11. A Certain Type. Welcome to Denver Orbit, an audio magazine that features voices, stories, and music from Colorado's creative community. I'm Josh Madison. And I'm the cold that took over Ryan Connell's body. We are really excited about today's show. We have music from Andre Cactus. And Denver historian David Duffield will give us a powerful peek into Denver's queer history. But first, I took a microphone down to the 16th Street Mall to spend time with Abigail Mott, a street artist that writes poems on any subject for anyone willing. common thing I'm asked to write about is love, essentially, which is probably not surprising in the least. And a lot of people like poems about their pets. My name is Abigail Mott. I write poems on a typewriter for people uh, lately or mostly on the street, but I also work events. Um, I think it's easy to refer to it as typewriter poetry, or uh, some people call it public poetry. I bring a little TV tray table, a sign, a chair, a typewriter, of course, and my sign says pick a subject, get a poem, and that's how I start. <laughs> First thought, best thought? Being in love? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Everything I'd forgotten returns. I can barely sleep thinking the curve of your cheek might meet me again tomorrow. I fumble red, I tell everyone about you, until slowly I'm only telling you as the gap closes. Have a good day. The one I'm using now is my favorite. It's a 1947 Clipper Smith Corona. Uh, it was my best friend's grandmother's typewriter that had probably been in the basement for 30 years and worked perfectly. Uh, I've been doing this seven years. Yeah, all over the country. I was on a road trip several years ago and it was actually when I first started typing on the street. I was just going through different states cities and I met somebody here and fell in love so decided to 
come out here, move here. I was looking for a place to move anyway, kind of sick of the small town and I got a taste for all of these other cities. I mostly wait for people to approach me. If I'm feeling particularly energetic, I will heckle a bit and try to get attention. <laughs> my backyard. Everything is edible. The wind seed bombing. Nice. Very nice. Cool. Good job. Man. Thanks. Have a good Have day. Good yeah, you too. You know, sometimes it's, somebody will give me, it's just another poem about like an anniversary and sometimes I blank on that. It's like I don't know how to write that poem <laughs> anymore but uh, I try to make it different every time and I try to do my best for the person requesting it I ask some questions and uh, I try to find a story or something like that something unique to them and their relationship Most people don't ask me to write about controversial subjects, but they do try to throw me a curveball sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Usually like something science, scientific that I probably yeah knew nothing about. And so I ask them about it. And I'm like, what is that? What is that? And can you give me a few key things? And people sometimes are very willing to uh, talk about it it's a passion of theirs and other people are like no just write something I'm like okay I'll do that for you who knows <laughs> and so it's fun I actually find like very random topics fun Ten bucks I rushed out the door needing a different kind of currency to fill my pockets Raw wind warmed by sunshine, though the train line could have taken me anywhere. I walked until Denver became familiar. Thirty years ago, I cleared my head. My desires were simple. No one else chose them, and I was fed. Like, I try to have fun because it's, the whole thing is an experiment in a way. Every moment with it is an experiment and an interaction. And, you know, people have said I'm psychic sometimes have cried and like sometimes there are just these really special moments where like a stranger is telling me something that they wouldn't tell somebody else which is easier for a lot of people. I've had people be like you know I'm cheating on my wife it's been going on for a long time can you write about this for me or uh, yeah I think there's a guy who gets a poem like every other week from me he's he got a few for his wife but then he's been getting more poems and I'm like I, I wonder if there's like this little spot in his desk at work where he's like putting these poems and I'm like hey <laughs> whatever as long as you're 
paying me for the poems. I, whatever it is, it's fine with me. <laughs> Any subject. All right, tell me about them. Are they a football team? <laughs> a hockey? Okay. The Badgers? Rushing the field to wait, play by play an inch closer to the gold, fame, the exhilaration of winning, unleashing the beast in freezing rain, doing whatever it takes, and coming together as siblings, friends to see it. Yeah, that like is it. awesome. That is cool. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, have a wonderful afternoon. Yeah, you too. Take care. Oh, yeah. Yes. Abigail Mott is a poet and a human. She creates poems on demand with an antique typewriter and the spirit of the moment. If you go to abigailmott.com, you can check out her poetry, buy her chapbook, and even find a link to A Place of Truth, which is a really beautiful looking documentary about her. And now let's hear a little music. This is Tostada by Andre Cactus.
You can hear more from Andre Cactus at SoundCloud. Just search for Andre Cactus. And we'll also have a link in the show description. You can find them on Instagram at Andre Cactus with no spaces. And they'll have an album out in the spring of 2018, if we all live that long. And hey, we have a Facebook and Instagram page, easily findable by typing Denver Orbit. Find us, like us, tell us what you think of the show. And if you're liking what you hear so far, make sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Or submit a story or an idea for yourself. We want to reflect the true weirdness and diversity of Denver. And for that to happen, we need your voice. Speaking of which, David Duffield joined us to talk about the history of gay liberation, police harassment, activism, and crimes against transgender people. This story we're about to tell uh, begins on a dark night in spring of 1978. A young man named Lawrence Subia, who is a month on the job as a vice squad officer, decides to pick up a uh, young woman named Anthony Irene DeSoto. Subia was uh, working as an undercover, which probably meant plain clothes vice squad officer. What Subia doesn't realize is that DeSoto is not simply doing sex work, but is actually a uh, biological male. After attempting to arrest her for solicitation of sex, according to Subia's captain, the person in question in this case, Irene DeSoto, got out a pair of scissors and apparently tried to slash Subia and then ran from the car and down an alley. So my name is David Duffield. I'm the creator and coordinator of the Colorado LGBT History Project, which is part of the GLBT Center of Colorado. I'm a graduate student at UC Denver. I'm trained as a teacher, a Denver native. So Irene was probably a person of Latino descent, according to the newspapers, and I'll use the pronoun she because that's how she gendered herself and how her friends referred to her. She came from San Francisco. She was about 34 years old. She had migrated around and like half of the gay youth who were doing sex work, she came from out of town. At the age of 34, she may have been doing sex work for close to 15 years from about the age of 19 on. She was uh, described as a happy person by her friends. She was known to frequent bars, and she was known by people around town. Irene DeSoto lived with her roommate at 1333 Pennsylvania Street. It was a building described by the newspapers as mostly seniors and some single people who noted that uh, DeSoto would come and go at all hours of the night. Irene was probably doing sex work, and she may or may not have been bringing people back to and from the apartment. Whatever the case was, she lived there and um, worked nearby. Here's Irene DeSoto, a 34-year-old male, a transvestite, a, a sex worker, and here's a young undercover cop, Lawrence Subia. Presumably Subia, he gets DeSoto to ask him if, if he'd like to have sex. After some debate or what would appear to be conflicting accounts, Irene runs. And she ends up in this guy's yard named Hamburger. George Hamburger ends up reporting that he hears a scuffle, he hears an argument, and then he hears a shot fired. So whatever accounts that come afterwards, we can understand that at the very least they were talking when they were in the yard. The police report later on showed that Subia's gun had gone off by accident. 
and that um, DeSoto had resisted arrest and fled an officer, which may or may not have been cause. But in the newspaper, she was painted as a transient and as a, a sex worker and as a transvestite, all negative words, which might have biased the judgment against her. So after, after DeSoto was killed, the newspapers recorded that Subia said that she, he thought she was a, quote, real woman, and that neighbors uh, heard men coming and going from her apartment all night. Whatever the case, the newspapers paint the death of this person as the death of a transient sex worker at the hands of a young cop, which has elements of truth in it. But when we look at how the response was um, later on, we find that there are different and conflicting stories. In the 1970s, we were living post-Stonewall, which was the match of gay activism that lit a thousand fires of activism across the country. Thousands of people across the country, students, young people, old people, were beginning to organize and protest nearly three generations of police repression. In the 1960s in Denver, one could be arrested and, and raids on gay bars were really, really common. In cities across the United States, the feeling was that the gay community was a detested minority full of psychopaths and child molesters. Queer people across the country put up with this and had riots, not simply at Stonewall, but decades before at uh, the Black Cat Bar in San Francisco or at Compton's Cafeteria, which was a transgender riot against police harassment. These decades-long rebellions, in a way, built up to what Stonewall would become. In Denver's case, we had only begun the journey towards gay liberation, gay activism a few years before with the Gay Coalition of Denver and what, what eventually became known as the Denver Gay Revolt in 1973, which was the first time in the nation that a group of over 300 queer people had met with their city council and gotten five anti-gay laws overturned. So if we imagine a picture of the United States in our head, we have to see people all across the country in large cities, uh, queer people, women, minorities pushing for civil rights, and this is just post the African-American civil rights movement and at the height of the gay liberation women's movements. What we see are queer people advocating for non-discrimination policies, and in Dade County, Florida, they had managed to get one of those passed by the city, which today there are hundreds of. A woman named Anita Bryant decided to wage a national campaign to fight back against that act of self-determination on the part of GLBT people. Anita Bryant is a former Miss Oklahoma, a pop singer with three gold records to her credit. Until just lately, she's been identified with nothing more controversial than orange juice. Well, today she's at the center of a human rights controversy raging in Dade County, Florida, where earlier this year the county commission made it illegal to discriminate against homosexuals in hiring and in housing. Miss Bryant is leading a counterattack. Extremely religious, she says she feels that she became really despised, naturally, by gay people and started to turn around the advances for anti-discrimination protections in these campaigns. And the first victory was in Miami-Dade County in Florida. In response to this locally, a group of 10 gay men got together and decided to form a collective known as the June 7th Committee. Um, and I believe it's in response to the overturning of the Dade County Ordinance on June 7th of 1977. The very first thing the June 7th committee decided to do was to investigate the death of Eugene Levi. A year before, a young, black, 
transvestite sex worker named Eugene Levi, who was only 24, was killed near 20th and Welton after a scuffle with a, another uh, vice squad officer named O'Hare. According to the newspapers at the time, O'Hare had asked Levi to, to get into his car and then asked him if he wanted to perform a sex act and then turned around and tried to arrest him for solicitation of sex. According to the newspapers and later police accounts, Levi tried to flee the car, and so O'Hare tried to apparently pistol whip, according to the June 7th committee's questions, uh, Levi into submission, and the gun went off, killing Levi. The death of one person was probably not enough to spur people to action, but the death of a, of a more well-known um, community member may have been. Whatever we know about Eugene Levi, we know that he died, and we also know that he died at the hands of a police officer, and we also know that that police officer was exonerated of any wrongdoing, and that the story of how he, he died, an accidental gun going off, raises a lot of questions today as it did for um, the GLBT community then. And so they issued a critical report of the slaying and how the DA was handling it. In one of those the questions raised in that report was why an arrest suspect was pistol whipped by a police officer, as well as why the officer uh, was exonerated of any wrongdoing. At the end of it, the June 7th committee raised a lot of questions about police harassment. The June 7th committee said, and I quote, we refuse to have our right to live taken away so fantastically. We are not inhuman, we are human beings. In the wake of DeSoto's death, there were more questions raised. Here's the second person uh, killed by Denver police, and the police officer is exonerated. And while the DA did open up an investigation, they found no wrongdoing in this case. A group of young people got together and decided to protest. Members of the June 7th committee, members of the Denver Socialists, members of different interest groups, women's liberationists, queer people decided to march and deliver a petition to city council. People known to me only as Monique and Missy organized the Transsexual, Lesbian, and Gay Defense Coalition. They presented the Denver City Council with a position requesting civilian oversight of police and organizing a march to police the police harassment. There were dozens of people. Missy and Monique decided to go in face, which meant in drag. These were biological men who were gendering themselves in public in daylight in the spring of 1978 as women. And one didn't do that in the daylight, one didn't do that in public, and one didn't certainly do that at the front of a protest. With these dozens of people behind them, they walked around Capitol Hill and down to Denver Police Headquarters and talked about police harassment. The interesting thing here is the symbolism behind the activism and the nature of the people marching. At a time when, for lack of a better word, the boys and girls of the GLBT community were fighting with each other because men were dealing with misogyny and women were having to literally fight for their equality, political activism and political change were really hard to achieve. Not only was there a lot of infighting for a nascent political gay community, there was a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of coming to understand from the various communities. One person once told me that there was the boys and there was the girls, and no one in between. For the boys and the girls to come together, not just with the Denver Socialists or the Women's Rights Coalition, 
but also for the leaders of this march to be men who are gendering themselves as women is pretty spectacular. Where we had two lives taken, accidentally or no, for the fact that they were doing sex work, probably because of that was the only form of work they could get or were forced to do, and then for the fact that they weren't real women, is pretty substantial. For a hundred years before this, it was illegal for men and women to cross-dress from 1886 on. And Denver and most other urban cities had always had a problem with the people who didn't, quote, fit in in public spaces. We were always happy to ignore those who didn't fit in until their problems became the problems that we experienced in our personal spaces. So when you see two people in face doing activism and a multicultural, multi-alliance, multi-sexual, multi-gender group of people behind them saying this is wrong and we have to stop it, even if it's only a small group, that begets many thousands more. This protest may not have had an immediate effect, but it drew attention, and it was a number of many, many different kinds of protests that the queer community had to engage in before they ended up having one united political front. Police harassment of not just transgender people or queer people only end, ended and continues to end and continues to be a struggle when groups of people come from behind them and say, this is wrong. These are human beings too. They deserve to be treated with justice. But more importantly, their lives matter, particularly people of color, as Eugene Levi is, is an example. If people see gender non-binary people as an other, you know, or they see gender non-conforming in public spaces as odd, let's rethink that for a moment. Let's think of someone's gender expression as a very personal matter, but also an expression of power because we take power away from people who don't conform to a gender binary by judging and scrutinizing them. If we see gender illusion, we should celebrate it. We should celebrate it as an act of liberation in the same way that Missy and Monique did 40 years ago. And that to reclaim public spaces from gender binary, we have to perform gender illusion, or we have to just be who we are. And we have to respect the fact that there's a gender plurality instead of a gender binary. Eugene Levi was 24, never got the chance to live a full life. And Irene DeSoto had built a community for herself, had friends, and that's probably one of the main reasons people came out in force. We have to look at the murder of these folks and we have to ask what's wrong, not simply for police harassment, but we have to look at the policies and circumstances around it. And we have to ask if that's changed. The Colorado Anti-Violence Project has dozens of documented cases like this. And it's not simply that we're not paying attention, but that we continue to condemn the people whose lives are taken.
David Duffield is the history coordinator for the GLBT Center of Colorado. He helped co-found the Colorado LGBT History Project with the GLBT Center in 2014. To find out more, please contact history at glbtcolorado.org. And for more resources, please visit the History Project website. And for additional resources about violence or justice, please see the Colorado Anti-Violence Project, the GLBT Center of Colorado, or the Gender Identity Center of Colorado. And we'll have links to all of those in the show description. That's it for this week. Denver Orbit is written and produced by Josh Madison and Ryan Connell, with editing and sound design by Josh Madison. And we'll see you back here in two weeks. Hello and welcome to Denver Orbit in the morning. Oh yeah. I'm Josh Madison and I'm going to make this voice laugh. <laughs> nope, I can't do it. I'm starting to get a sore throat. <laughs> How do they do that all morning long? I'm J- I'm Jay Dummy in the morning and this is my zoo crew. I think it's just how their voice sounds naturally. Mm. It's like the only job that they could do. (laughs) I only have one choice. (laughs) I wanted to be a lawyer. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Your Honor, he's guilty. (laughs) It turns out you have cancer. (laughs) Open your Bibles to Genesis. Okay, now actually, that might work. <laughs> it's not a bad fit. You have two choices. Yeah, televangelist, wacky AM radio DJ. <laughs> wacky morning DJ. Oh man, those guys are gonna be those they're slowly it's like a dying breed, right? Yeah. They're slowly disappearing from the earth. Does Denver have a Donate donate here to keep your morning zoo crew on the air. <laughs> the zoo crew is endangered. The morning zoo crew is in danger of going extinct. Please donate here and save your For morning For just pennies sickness. a day. <laughs> <laughs> you can save. You can save your morning zoo crew. <laughs> Imagine a world without sound effects. <laughs> no prank calls to listen to on your morning commute. <laughs> For just pennies a day, you too can save your local morning zoo crew. Do you want your children growing up in that world? <laughs> in a zoo crew less neat world? Oh man. No, no one does. Well,